the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I am Seth Liebson, and welcome back. Friday, June 10th, 2022. I will confess that I'm torn on how to cover, if at all, the January 6th hearings. They are not the first January 6th hearings. Last night, they were not, even though that was what they were advertised as. They were the first hearings put on primetime television. But the Democrats are playing the role of Linda Lohman in Arthur Miller's Death of a Salesman. Attention must be paid. He's not to be allowed to fall into his grave like an old dog. That's what Linda Lohman said. What happened January 6th was not moving the American people. It was a several-hour melee where the aggressors killed nobody and have been indicted or arrested. It was a year and a half ago. Every Republican anyone ever heard of denounced it. Every person arrested or involved was never heard of by any Republican anyone had ever heard of, or any Democrat either. The wild rumpus that day might have just as well been called a whirlwind, but it cannot be called that because that's what Charles Schumer, the majority leader of the Senate, Democrat, New York, called for against Supreme Court justices. Nor will it do for us to simply say people will do what people will do. You see, that line was taken away from us a priori the year before when Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, Democrat, California, said that when asked about a riot that police had to flee to preserve their own lives in Baltimore. She was asked about it as it was her own. It was her hometown, her town of birth. People will do what people will do, was her doubting Thomas response. So we can't use that phraseology to dismiss January 6th events. I remember at the time thinking this when she said that. She just ended the whole justification for her whole, for her job. If people will do what people will do in the face of the law, why pass laws? Why be a member of the House, much less the Speaker of it? If you want to know who created the atmosphere to justify anarchy and violence for political ends, it was not our side. It's inexcusable, but the prosecutors need to look in the mirror, for they are in the wrong courtroom with the wrong defendants and the wrong case. Republicans, conservatives, our party, our movement, we are as responsible for January 6th as is Dr. Jonas Salk, the famous virologist, for the medical and political advice of Aaron Laviana. Oh, you never heard of Aaron Laviana. He was one of the many virologists, over 1,200, affiliated with some hospital or other who helped put the undue fear of God and devil into the American public over COVID and racism by saying protesting on behalf of the BLM movement was as important to public health as stay-at-home orders to prevent COVID transmission, only to be discovered as just plainly wrong and amazingly foolish. Well, they both studied virology after all these two doctors, didn't they? Shouldn't we visit those doctors' sins on Dr. Salk? That's what's trying to be done here. Those kinds of pieces of advice, by the way, actually did lead to the loss of more lives, tens of thousands. January 6th had one loss of life, one of the protesters. She was unarmed and shot to death in the midst of committing the crime of unlawful entry to a building. 
If she were of a different race, nationwide protests on her behalf would have ensued. She wasn't of a different race, so there were not, and the cop was cleared, without incident or protest or riot. For months on end before January 6, 2021, every Democrat anyone had heard of, supported or refused to comment on the melees that rocked the country, saw the firebombings of federal courthouses, the resignations of police leaders throughout the country, the violent takeovers of police precincts, property damage amounting to billions of dollars, the arrest of 14,000 people and the loss of over two dozen lives. Because, to quote the Speaker of the House, people will do what people will do. Or to quote the current vice president, who at the time was raising bail money for those rioters, quote, these protests cannot stop and should not stop, close quote. Oh, and as respect and integrity and sacrosanctity for the institutions of government goes, who physically shredded a State of the Union from the seat of the Speaker of the House on live television? I know that's not violence, but it's as close to rhetorical or stage violence as one gets, as close to burning a flag as one can approach, and certainly more violent than any speech that we are told is violence. And it at once denigrated the institution of both the presidency and the Congress, one might say desecrated. If you want to know who created the atmosphere to justify anarchy and violence for political ends, it was not our side. It's inexcusable, but the prosecutors need to look in the mirror, for they are in the wrong courtroom with the wrong defendants and the wrong case. So I'm not sure what I'm supposed to take seriously from what was aired last night or why any American would take it all that seriously. Now, there is something I don't quite understand that maybe you can help me with. The heroes for the Democrats per last night are evidently Liz Cheney and William Barr. I thought we were supposed to hate them. I thought Democrats taught us we were supposed to dislike them. They were a threat to our democracy. I'm so very confused. Quote, sharp tongued and nasty is how the New York Times described Liz Cheney in a profile just three years ago. Only a year ago, Congresswoman Ilan Omar said of Liz Cheney, quote, she directly contributed to the rise of anti-Muslim hate in this country. Progressives should not be celebrating anyone with her record, close quote. The Nation magazine said Liz Cheney engages in, quote, outrageous lies to vilify others just two years ago. One prominent civil rights organization labeled her a bigot. Rashida Tlaib, congresswoman, called her a, quote, right-wing extremist who incites hate, close quote. Now she's a hero for the Democrats. Three years ago, Nancy Pelosi said of Bill Barr, he committed a crime by lying to Congress, responsible for, in her words, quote, deeply damaging the rule of law, close quote. Jerry Nadler, Elizabeth Warren, AOC, Joe Biden, Harris all went on record saying William Barr was so corrupt when he was attorney general, he should resign. That was in the previous administration. The entire editorial board of the New York Times wrote, quote, Attorney General Barr must resign and said things like, if you're having trouble distinguishing Mr. Barr's vision of the presidency from the rule of a king, you're not alone. Bill Barr's America is not a place that anyone, including Trump voters, should want to go. 
close quote. Well, that's when he was in power. Today, he, like Liz Cheney, are the Democrats' heroes, cited and quoted as adults and worthy of listening to and shaming those who do not take them seriously. Are we supposed to just ignore and forget all the defamation of them only two and three years ago? Reviled yesterday because a threat to their power, revived as heroes today because they can be used to substantiate Democratic Party power. This is all the cognate of praising Republicans once they are dead or out of office to shame current ones as not of the same caliber of decency, only for us to show that what was said of those people when they were in power was the same damn thing that said about them as that was their successors and present day Republicans. Goldwater, a hero today in the Senate and running for president, a Hitler and a racist. Reagan, the good and decent Republican now, a bigot and racist and fascist when he was in office and running for office. So today, accept that we love Cheney and Barr because it's useful to us, even though, yeah, two and three years ago, we said they were liars, criminals, incitements of, to hatred and unfit to hold office. Boy, the Democrats really seem to have perfected baptism, haven't they? So maybe, maybe, maybe if the country is not as exercised about criminal activity that lasted half a day, one day, a year and a half ago, that the entirety of the Republican Party denounced and that the Democrats want us all to be exercised about, maybe, maybe, maybe it's because the Democrats long ago and for a long time propagated and defended worse violence with worse consequences for a much longer period of time and, and, and tainted and destroyed the reputations of their new and now star witnesses, they ask us to take seriously today because today they tell us to take them seriously. The thing is, though, that is just what the Democrats are trying to accomplish. It's a tall order for anyone who has either A, a memory, or B, access to Internet research tools like DuckDuckGo or Google, or a New York Times or Washington Post archive subscription that runs as far back as only two three years ago. While talking about this, the Democrats' new favorite victim we should all feel badly for and worry about, Mike Pence. You know, the same Mike Pence whose ceremonial office in the House of Representatives was removed by Nancy Pelosi when he was vice president because of spite. The same Mike Pence condemned as a sexist, homophobe, quote, a danger as the New York headlined New Yorker headlined a story about him. Worse than Donald Trump, as a headline in The Nation had about him. The representative of The Handmaiden's Tale, so many cartoons about that. The man booed and forced out of a play on Broadway when he went there with his family as an audience member. All just a couple of years ago. You know, when he was in office and in power. The sympathy the Democrats want us to have for Mike Pence today is the crocodile kind, the tears shed in order to trap and eat prey. It's a tall order for anyone who has either a memory or access to Internet search tools like DuckDuckGo or Google or New York Times or Washington Post archive subscriptions that run as far back as only two and three years ago. History. Memory. It's the friend of the normal, and in our case, the conservative. History and memory are the enemy of the left. Why else would they try to distort it at every level? 
Whether it's our founding date and year or Joe Biden trying to tell you this year that the Republican Party is the party of Bull Connor, Jefferson Davis and George Wallace, who all, in fact, were Democrats, two of whom were in office when Joe Biden decided to affiliate with that party. Wilfred McClay, maybe the best American historian alive, wrote this, quote, a culture without memory will necessarily be barbarous and easily tyrannized, even if it is technologically advanced. The incessant waves of daily events will occupy all our attention and defeat all our efforts to connect past, present, and future, thereby diverting us from an understanding of the human things that unfold in time, including the paths of our own lives. Close quote. Barbarous and easily tyrannized via the use of incessant waves of daily events diverting us from context and understanding. There's another phrase for that, of course. Dr. McClay doesn't use it, but I will. Permanent revolution. Who invented that phrase? Another scholar. His name? Karl Marx. He rendered it this way, quote, while the democratic petty bourgeois want to bring the revolution to an end as quickly as possible, achieving at most the aims already mentioned, it is our interest and our task to make the revolution permanent until all the more or less classes have been driven from their positions, until the proletariat has conquered state power, and until the association of the proletarians has progressed sufficiently far, not only in one country, but in all the leading countries of the world, close quote. Incessant roiling and convulsion until total victory. George Orwell saw how all that was playing out in the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics once upon a time and wrote a book about it, stating this, quote, Already we know almost literally nothing about the revolution in the year before the revolution. For every record has been destroyed or falsified, every book has been rewritten, every picture has been repainted, every statute, street, and building has been renamed, every date has been altered. And that process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. Close quote. An endless present in which the party, note he uses a capital P, is always right. In an endless present. That's what we're watching right now in a never-ending loop. I just hope we're not buying it. God help us if we do. They don't seek the death of a salesman. They seek something far more nefarious and threatening. So maybe attention should not be paid. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you're looking for a really unique and remarkable investment opportunity with a great return, check out my friends at YRefi, investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y and R-E-F-Y dot com. They're talking about a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10 and a quarter percent for investors, all in a collateralized and secure portfolio. YRefi is a due diligence approved firm. And it's run by really good people who are based here locally. You can go visit them. They won't give you a sales pitch. They'll just talk about what they're doing and let it speak for itself. It speaks volumes. They're in the business of helping people doing their best to dig out a debt by actually paying down their debts and getting great 
things in return, like a debt-free life and FICO score recovery. As I say, check them out at investyrefi.com or give them a call at 855-316-3087. Investyrefi.com. Tell them Seth sent you. Uh, one of the things we're going to uh, have coming up, one of, the, uh, one of the things I want to talk about a little bit more when, uh, when we come back from the next break is, um, is, uh, is The State of Black America, a brand new book out about it by an old professor of mine, William B. Allen. Uh, he's not that old, but he was a professor of mine, and I'm very much looking forward to talking to him about his uh, brand new book. He uh, he was in Claremont, and uh, I'll just tell you, when I was a student there, it was a uh, feast for a would-be, wannabe, or extant conservative. Uh, in those days, um, conservatives really rocked Claremont. Harry Jaffa was there. Charles Kessler was there. Tom West was there. Bill Allen was there. So we'll talk to him in just a few moments. I don't know exactly what to make of the ratings from last night's live broadcast of the January 6th hearings. They're reporting about 19 million eyeballs, about 19 million viewers. And I can't really tell if that's a big success for what they wanted or not. I will tell you the most popular, one of the most popular television shows on broadcast television is one I've never even heard of, and it's called Ghosts. It's about twice the number of ghosts. Bill, have you heard of the network television show Ghosts? I apologize. Okay, you and I are are not alone there, and we're both, you know, we both watch TV. I'm probably not a lot, but we're both, you know, we have TVs, we watch TV. I mean, I I know other shows. (laughs) I don't know, but I do know this. That was their best shot. They won't get another. They won't get another. And I think they're going to have a diminishing return, especially in the context of the news today with a renewed 40-year record inflation high or 40-year high record of inflation. We had that record reached two months ago. Then it went down a little bit. Well, we've beaten that yet again. We beat the record that was the record two months ago. By we beat... I mean, we are being beaten by it. We are being beaten by it. And I think that, along with so many other problems, is going to have most voters who don't live in Manhattan or San Francisco or Los Angeles, though query as to Los Angeles, San Francisco or Manhattan, it's probably going to have most voters saying A several-hour crime where everyone was arrested and indicted a year and a half ago is what you're spending your time on? Yeah, I think I'd rather have you working on the fact that I can't find baby formula and the fact that it's too expensive to buy gas to put in my car to go from store to store to look for baby formula or that drugs are flooding through our border and throughout the rest of our country and killing record numbers of Americans. We're hitting a lot of records here, folks, just none of the good ones. And by we, I mean the Democrats. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back.
Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. This is a real treasure for me, a real privilege and an honor uh, to welcome back to the show Dr. William B. Allen. Professor Allen, uh, an old uh, professor of mine, is the author of a brand new book, The State of Black America, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. Uh, professor, uh, congratulations on the book, and thank you for joining us. Really appreciate you. Well, thank you so much. It's wonderful to be with you. Uh, before I get to the book, real quick, I was just, as I was thinking, an old professor of mine, you know, back in the day, we were all in Claremont, and I was just thinking about the land of giants that some of these universities used to be. That was a time when the campus included Harry Jaffa, Charles Kessler, yourself, Tom West. You can't find campuses like this anymore in America, can you? You can't find very many scholars like that anymore all in one place, can you? Few and far between. I'm always the best when students ask, "Where should I go to graduate school?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly right. All right, let's get to it. The state of Black America: progress, pitfalls, and the promise of the republic. I want to start by asking you, Professor. Um, this is a this is a, a ripe book, but it almost wouldn't have been ripe five, six, seven years ago, in the sense that. This country seemed to me, and I'm not uh, in the black community, or of it, I should say, so maybe I'm wrong, but it seemed to me we mostly weren't thinking and talking so much about it because it seemed to me we most, mostly kind of had everything settled and figured out here. Is that callous or wrong on my part? No, it's neither callous nor wrong. You had every right to be hopeful about America. And it's only in the last few years that something, a syndrome, that has been embedded for now several decades, finally reach ripeness and begin to sink to high heaven. And, and that is this whole narrative of race, with racism with a capital R, that is being used, being injected into the veins of the culture as a poison to divide us. And so it comes to a head. Uh, much of it was latent long before, but it wasn't powerful until recently. And so you see in things like the 1619 Project from the New York Times, the work on anti-racism, and if you'd followed it through the Academy, you would have seen it bubbling up in all kinds of professional articles and then inseminating itself through universities, the DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, administrative structures, and corporations and the military, so that it is now full-blown and sprung to us out of its chrysalis in all of its horrifying splendor. Talk to us, we'll get to the causes of that in a moment, but talk to us about why it is so horrifying to you. Because it is putting the brakes on the greatest promise mankind has known. It is an attack upon the American heritage on the part of those who know what they're doing, and it is a destabilizing, destructive tendency on the part of those who, even with goodwill, are acting mindlessly. So that the problem with it is precisely that it requires us to deconstruct the United States, its founding, and all of its promise. And that means it starts by denying that there's been any progress post-slavery, insisting instead that post-slavery has been a dark valley in which American blacks in particular have been imprisoned. And being imprisoned there has no hope of advancing beyond that unless there's radical change. Professor Allen is our guest, uh, William B. Allen. The State of Black America, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic is his brand 
new book. Professor, are the people who are peddling this stuff, who are promoting uh, this stuff, do you sense that they're doing it because they actually believe America is a systemically racist country and we have a lot of work to do in the parlance of our times? Or is it one more element or tool in a leftist effort to kind of transform and delegitimize America itself, as we've seen through various neo-Marxist movements in our history? It is primarily a wedge, a point of leverage being used by people knowingly to give some impetus to the effort to overturn the American system. And those are the ones who do what they're doing knowingly and who are intent on completely reconstructing the United States as an egalitarian paradise, as they imagine. But, of course, there are many others who have fallen prey to it and who are necessary in order for it to have any chance at all who are simply following it because they have been drinking the Kool-Aid. So so that what we've asked people to do is go back and look at the actual history, see the transformation in this country post-slavery. Look at the statistical evidence in the census reports and other such things that are dramatic, uh, that show in just 30 years, for example, between 1860 and 1890, the population of American blacks doubled. That's mainly the free slaves. Uh, you saw family formation at an extremely high rate, education at a high rate by 1920, 50% literacy. Uh, so that throughout what was in some ways a very dark period, there was dramatic progress all of which is being denied by the people peddling racism with the capital R at the expense of responsibility with the capital R. Let me pick up on that as we head to a quick commercial break, Professor Allen. I want to talk about responsibility. I want to talk about success. And I want to talk about that teaching of American history you mentioned, because it seems to me, contemplate on the break, this, there's, ver- there's something very odd about just what history the 1619 Project, Ibram Kendi efforts are trying to teach Americans. I'm Seth Liebson. He's uh, Dr. William B. Allen. Uh, the State of Black America is his brand new book. The State of Black America, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. Get it at any online bookseller you like, but definitely get it. I'm Seth. He's Bill. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I am Seth, my guest. Delighted to have William B. Allen, the author of a brand new book, The State of Black America, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. Professor, you were talking about American history uh, with us in the previous segment, and there's something so odd to me I wanted to run by you and get your thoughts on when you – when you look at the 1619 Project and um, and those who uh, – its disseminators and proponents, you look at some of the work that uh, we're getting from the likes of Ibram Kendi out at Boston University. They tell a narrative about America that – and its founding – that you could have heard in parts of America's past, but they were the reading of America's history that – we defeated in the Civil War. When they talk about the founding and equality as a lie, when they talk about the Declaration of Independence as unserious or um, or, or a falsehood, that is uh, that is the same exact sentiment that the Confederacy of the United States 
held. There was another part of the United States. It was a bigger part. It was the victorious part. And they just wipe away that entire history as if they are giving us some kind of some kind of new version of the loser's version of American history. I don't know if that makes sense. That's the way I read it, though, and it strikes me as really, really odd. You're reading it quite correctly, and I can give you a few examples that illustrate that for you. The first of which I would want to offer you, and which is reported in the book, comes from Frederick Douglass and Ida B. Wells. They, in 1893, were protesting the exclusion of blacks from the Columbian Exposition. That was the Chicago World's Fair of that year. And they went back to 1619, interestingly enough. They said, this is when slavery was brought here. This cancer was introduced on this continent and in this country. And then they went on to protest by stating this. By leaving us out, what you're doing is not failing to tell the story of our accomplishments, but telling, failing to tell the story of America's accomplishments post-slavery. Mm-hmm. Because all that had been done post-slavery and all of the manifest progress on the part of the free slaves was testimony to the strength and resilience of the American institution. So that they were going back to history and recovering from it the promise of America. Whereas what you're seeing today is an abuse of history and sucking out of it the promise of America. So that the lies about slavery at the revolution and the Declaration of Independence or about Abraham Lincoln are all just that, knowing lies. To illustrate which, let me say, uh, when the 1619 Project first appeared, many of us wrote to Silverstein, the editor of the New York Times, yeah. protesting the errors. Uh, he pretty much uh, waved it off, and after a long period of time, made some minor bows towards recognizing that maybe a, a syllable or a comma here or there could be changed. But one thing he did that no one ever saw, I sent him, not just in a list I signed with others, but personally, a note in which I said, look, you have criticized Abraham Lincoln for being false on the question of race and slavery. And you criticize it in such a way that you actually are denying something that he actually responded to. Mm-hmm. He actually wrote a letter to a gentleman in Kentucky answering the very point that you were making in your piece. And you didn't mention it. So I'm sending you a copy of it mm-hmm. so that you can at least let Lincoln speak for himself. Well, Silverstein never acknowledged my message and certainly never published that which means it's a denial of history. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you mustn't forget, the birth of the New York Times was as a pro-slavery-inclined journalist uh-huh. venture. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And in many ways, the fact that they are echoing old Calhounian and Confederacy arguments simply means it hasn't really changed. It hasn't really changed. I just never thought I'd expect to see it revived right now. I mean, I, I had spent you you longer and 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 showed the path. You you had spent um, you had spent decades of of academic and intellectual effort uh, trying trying to make the case that uh, that that lost cause was not the nat- was not the natural history of America. It was a lost cause, and it was a lost cause for a reason. I just never expected the liberals to revive it. Well, you've got to understand, it seems to me, that uh, they are pursuing a mission, those who are doing this from the elite positions in American culture. And if they had not ascended to those elite positions, they couldn't be doing it. So these two things have to go together. You have to understand whether it's the Defense Department or the major corporations or all our universities or our journalism enterprises, the main ones. It is because the people who ascended to the top of them are all in 
transformed by this project to transform the United States. We're talking consciously doing this. I just wanted to put in another uh, statement. We're talking, uh, plug, we're talking to William B. Allen. The State of Black America is his brand new book, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. One of the things I learned uh, from you years ago and and some of your teachers, uh, Dr. Allen, was uh, to read people as they understood themselves when they were writing, when they were speaking. And one of those people was Frederick Douglass. You have an essay in your book uh, contributed by uh, Glenn Lowry, who uh, we've talked about on this show before, who's 4th of July. This is a big question Frederick Douglass brought out. Uh, What is the 4th of July to me? Closing comments, closing comments on your part here, sir. How would you say the 4th? What is the 4th of July to you? Well, let me just first uh, praise Glenn Lowry. Oh, yes. It's a wonderful essay. Yes. <laughs> and and what, it, what it does is to embrace what is one of the principal themes of this book, and which I certainly bring out in the initial essay, uh, and that is the theme of black patriotism. And what is meant by that, and this gets to what is the 4th of July, what is meant by that is that the future of America is what is at stake, not the future of American blacks simply. And it turns out that given the divisive pressures we are finding ourselves under, that future is not likely to be secured unless it brings all hands on deck. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's extremely important for us now to recognize that we must welcome and foster and encourage black patriotism for the sake of America itself, because that is going to give strength to the whole patriotic exertion. And that means the 4th of July is the center around which we gather to express that patriotism, to express our confidence in self-government and the confidence expressed in the Declaration of Independence that all human beings are capable of self-government, that they are capable of agency, that they are capable of self-direction, and that they are capable of self-improvement. We have to repeat that like a drumbeat until we drive out this racism with a capital R and the dependent victimhood which has been imposed upon us. Boy, that's beautiful. I'll replay this uh, again and again in my best ofs to help do my part, Professor Allen. Thank you for doing your part as a great scholar, a great teacher, a great friend, and the author of a great book, The State of Black America, Progress, Pitfalls, and the Promise of the Republic. Godspeed, Bill. Thank you. You're very welcome, and thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Always. Be right back. Thanks for spending some of your time, some of your week with us. Portions of this show brought to you by the great people at Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com. I take their fruits and veggies every day. It boosts your health, your immunity, your energy. Hit a personal record today on the bike. I credit my Balance of Nature with helping me do that. It can do it all for you, too. Pure, potent plant power, 100% natural, third-party tested for any impurities, Go to balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. I guess in closing out the week, I want to tack on to something Bill Allen was saying, our previous guest, William B. Allen, guard to his book, State of Black America, and some of the things he said about it. There is a campaign, and I guess my monologue went to it as well. There is a campaign to make us dumb, and it begins with changing our history revision, revising our history, historical revision. It should strike people as odd when the very arguments about our founding look exactly like the very arguments 
that the Confederate States of America and Jefferson Davis and Alexander Stevens made. It should strike people as odd that the condemnation of our founding is to condemn and contemn the argument of Ulysses S. Grant and Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King Jr. It should strike people as odd that it doesn't is because of a nonstop, endless loop of historical revisionism in real time. Know your history. It's the strongest bulwark against revolutionary zeal in politics or in pedagogy. You need help on finding the right books, the good books, the good stuff. We're here for that. But it's out there. Don't let it be attenuated by a radical left whose designs are anything but the continued preservation of what Lincoln called the last best hope of Earth. I believe it still is. I know you do, too. Have a great weekend. And until Monday, God bless you all. Class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.